This is the Dave and Shecky Show. We got this groovy podcast for ya. Reviewing crazy tunes or quoting Twain and Sting and Dune. We'll bring ideas to share like bonus points for extra flair. Cause it's the freaking Dave and Shecky Show. Check your show, we're bringing you this groovy review. We might preview movies, bake some bread, or drink some smoothies. So come on, have way too much caffeine. You roll up some rivers, I'll reference some Raffi. This is the Dave and Checky Show. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Please, have a menu. Will my dear server will be with you shortly. Blah! Welcome to Roberto's House of Vampire Pancakes. Oh! I am Roberto. What's your specialty pancake? Blood Orange Pancakes. Bah-ah-ah! Ah. Oh, okay, well that sounds delicious. A funny thing happened to me on the way to the crypt. bah Never mind, that was the joke. I see. Alright, welcome everyone, welcome, welcome, welcome to episode number 94. Thank you, you're welcome. I'll be right back with some more treats. Uh, episode number 94 of the Middle Age Cool Kids Super Terrific Podcast, featuring your pals, Roberto, and his partner, Sally. Uh, who is Roberto who? Roberto the Vampire, who I just spoke of. He's doing guest feature for two things. Uh-huh. He's not only opener, but also guest host. Excellent. And Sally, his very plain girlfriend. Oh, thank you for that. You're welcome. It's not bad. It's good. To be very plain? Yes, this is what I like. Girl next door type of thing. Okay, that's not the same thing. Oh, sorry. Plain Jane, I mean. That's also a bad thing to say. Ah, G.I. Jane. I mean, great movie, yes? No, but okay. You like it, this movie, no? Uh, I, I don't have feelings... About that movie either way, actually. I am very awkward on first date. This is why I led to being vampire. Uh-huh. Had to cut to the chase. Okay. Mm-hmm. I have to cut to the chase bank. I mean, I'll be right back. Oh, okay, great. Uh, anyway, welcome to episode number 94. As you may or may not uh, be aware, we are doing a month of spooky-type podcast for... Halloween in celebration of the month of October. It's been spooky themed stuff. Like, uh, I think we did the um, top grossing Halloween or spooky movies of all time. What was the other one we did? Uh, I have trouble remembering. Aleister Crowley. Of course. Evil man. Very bad man. Yes terrible person just a sociopathic lunatic that somehow people on people on youtube just are defending him and and pushing his weird society as if why so many uh charles manson shirts but not uh crowley shirts there might are there manson shirts yeah lots of manson shirts oh i didn't know manson shirts you know stuff like that (laughs) What are they? Are there pictures of him, or? Uh, I guess I kind of, or maybe it's Helter Skelter. I don't know, some sort of shirt. You've seen shirts. Well, there's a song Helter Skelter. Yes, but there's also T-shirts. But are they of the song or the book, or are they? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I see. I think it's a mis- mishmash of uh, evil. I think people who wear a shirt like that are are either sociopaths or just dying for any kind of attention even if it's negative attention there's no there's no reason to put Charles Manson uh, in high regard and there's definitely no reason to wear a t-shirt with Charles Manson on it I wonder if Charles Manson ever voted uh, I think once you've been locked up you are no longer eligible to vote god damn it he would have been a proud democrat perhaps 
I don't know. And I perhaps don't more than that, Jim. Perhaps, perhaps more than that. Uh, so today's episode, continuing with the spooky theme, spooky. is all about the adventures, I guess, of Ed and Lorraine Warren. It started when I was about nine years old, where I could see lights around people. I thought everybody could see that. And Lorraine related to me later. I never wanted to be different. I lived in a haunted house when I was a boy. I would hear the closet door opening up. I'd look into that closet darkness, and then I'd see a face of an old lady. The Warrens brought the idea of the paranormal to the public consciousness. Their mission in life was to let people know that the devil existed, that he was real. I refer to them as the grandparents of modern ghost hunting. The cases that Ed and Lorraine Warren worked on were groundbreaking. They thought there is evil in the world, we need to fight it. They truly wanted to help people. It's all in the Bible. Evil, ghost, demon, devil. I knew right at that point what we were dealing with. When you challenge the demonic, it waits until you are the most vulnerable. Then it strikes. Devil's Road, the true story of Ed and Lorraine Warren. September 7th at 9, a Shock Docs premiere event on Travel Channel and Travel Channel Go. Spooky. Ed and Lorraine kind of started the the paranormal investigative team I don't want to say show because they didn't really have a show but they I guess they put that thought out there about investigative uh, paranormal teams they probably are most famous well you know let me say, before the 2000s, I would say they were most famous for the Amityville Horror House. The, our generation grew up with that. I think the, the, the things that happened around that house happened in, say, 76, 77, maybe. Uh, the book and the movie came out, maybe 78-ish. And that really was... That was a huge pop culture happening that movie do you agree uh yeah but now somehow i feel like it was panned by the critics you know the as we've seen on rotten tomatoes shit gets panned by the critics all the time it doesn't doesn't mean shit if the audience likes it and they're paying to see it that's what matters most you know i honestly i don't even know why we have critics i don't know why we have critics we disagree with them, I'd say more often than not, and it's not just the movies, it's music, and they, at least back in the day, we know that when it came to music, they either held grudges or were paid, the term payola comes to mind. Hey, you can make a break your career. <laughs> yeah. They so, did that for uh, Broadway, Broadway too. Broadway too, so I, I, I don't, I don't. I'm not a fan of the critics at critics all. Critics are paid to sway your opinion. Yeah, and and now it all news is paid to sway your opinion. Quite frankly, just just the whole Hunter Biden thing disappearing off of social media uh, proves that. But let's get back to our spooky stuff. Spooky. What was I even saying? Uh, critics. Oh, uh, the Rotten Tomatoes. Anyway. Yeah, so I'll tell you how important Amityville Horror Movie was, was that it it is where the get out phrase originated. Out. And whenever you kind of see a, a scary movie, a scary story, a parody. Wasn't that the name of that movie that Jordan... Uh, Peel just did. Well, there you go. So that all originates from that movie, <clears throat> from that experience, the Amityville Horror. So Get Out is part of the ghost lexicon, I guess. it's. I, I would say almost everyone is familiar with the phrase. Maybe they don't, the younger folks don't know where it came from, but that's where it came from. That's it. Everything about this house was evil. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, I was in that house one time and nothing ever happened to me. It's not that a house is haunted 24 hours a day. You don't walk into a haunted house and see ghosts flitting all over the place. Mm -hmm. After 9 o'clock, 
the psychic hours start, 9 to 6 in the morning. Mm -hmm. 9 o'clock, the energy starts to build up because of the darkness. Mm -hmm. Then you start to get what we call the infestation in a house like Amityville. First you hear the little knockings, the rappings. Then you might hear pounding sounds. Then you might hear crying or sobbing, uh, hysterical laughter. These are the types of things that actually happen in these homes. So the Warrens have been a very important piece of the paranormal puzzle that swept the nation and I think it continues to sweep the nation we have just as many ghost shows as we've ever had Zach Baggins is still doing his thing Jason Hawes from Ghost uh, what was it not what was the name of his show Ghost Hunters now he has a new show on Travel Channel called Ghost Nation so the, the, honestly Travel Channel I don't know why their name is the Travel Channel there's no more Samantha Brown uh, going to different places. That's what the Travel Channel used to be. Was It was all Samantha Brown all the time, going to different places, going to different hotels. She was cute. It was kind of great. But now it's just all haunting stuff. Paranormal stuff, doomsday stuff. I don't even know why it's called the Travel Channel. They should just change it already. They should. Like Paranormal Channel or something. Spike. Spike TV, how about that one? That one doesn't exist anymore, Oh, because that was such a great name. That might have been the worst name ever. You think so? It's pretty bad, yeah. I didn't know. I never really watched it. Well, probably because probably it was called Spike. Mm -mm. They didn't Sounds have like ghost shows. Sounds like a outdoors channel. I like, I like ghost shows, so I always make sure that whatever internet TV package we get, I get the, cha the travel channel so I can watch my ghost shows. But, um... So, yeah, and Ed and Lorraine Warren were a huge influence on yeah. every paranormal investigator. I feel I like say. her character was her character. imitated in the poltergeist as the woman who's the psychic in that movie. Caroline is not like those she's with. She is a living presence in their spiritual earthbound plane. You know, she could have been. That woman was tiny and... Based on her, somehow. It could, she could have been. So anyway, the Travel Channel has a new documentary out. It's called The, the Devil's Road. And it is a two-part documentary about Ed and Lorraine Warren. Now, for the first time, never-before-released recordings... I saw the icebox move, the television move. ...document how this unassuming couple devoted their lives to saving others from the demonic. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave. And proving to the world that the devil exists. They thought, there is evil in the world, we need to fight it. You can't imagine what has taken place in this home. They're the subjects of a blockbuster film franchise. My mother and father, they just kept going. They just kept helping. They are the pioneers of the paranormal, Ed and Lorraine Warren. The documentary is pretty great. It's pretty interesting. It's almost two hours long if you watch both parts, uh, one right after the other, but I definitely recommend it, especially because there are cases, like I said, Amityville Horror, everybody knows, and more recently, I guess The Conjuring and, and The Haunting in Connecticut. So what happened was the Ed and Lorraine, I think they had over a thousand cases in their careers as... They weren't ghost hunters. They were. He was really a demonologist. They were of the mind that it was evil spirits. They were very Catholic. So they kind of were, went the evil spirit demon route a lot of times with these hauntings. But with all of their cases, they wrote a book. Or somebody ghost wrote a book. I'm not sure. <laughs> no pun intended. It was really not intended. So at some point after Ed passed away... Somebody brilliantly bought the rights to their stories and started churning out these movies. The Nun, Annabelle, The Conjuring. I mean, there's a shit ton of movies that are based on these books and maybe even loosely based, which is fine. Now, these books are fiction or they're based on their accounts? They're based on their, on their accounts. Gotcha. So... 
Oh, did they call it The Conjuring, or that's what the movie's called? No, the somebody, some slick hipster is naming those movies. I mean, even Annabelle, the real Annabelle is a Raggedy Ann doll. Uh-huh. But in the movies, it looks like a, a little uh, Linda Blair. It's really, it's really the most sort demonic. Of a female Chucky. It looks. It's really demonic. It's it's terribly demonic, looking. But the real Annabelle was Raggedy Ann. So uh, I, I had a Raggedy Ann when I was little. It was kind of. Did you did you have a well? Not you, but I don't recall them. But I'm sure we might have. Yeah, you were the youngest, so... I don't recall that. Raggedy Ann and the the Holly Hobby dolls were also a big deal. But they were cloth dolls. The Amish guy told me that his son... No, scratch that. He told me that there's a classic Amish story of a brother stealing a... What kind of... What are those things? What the monkey? Sock monkey? Sock monkey. Steals the girl's sock monkey. Buries it in the yard because he's too ashamed to give it back or whatever. And then, within a couple of months, it sprouted and grew there. Because they're full of beans. Oh. And that's how he got busted. Some sort of moral, some sort of uh, Amish moral story. I'm messing it up because I'm not moral or Amish. They, what was he the trying? kid steals the sock monkey and buries it, and then it it sprouts there, and that's how they knew where it was. Right, was he trying to accuse you of stealing and trying to? It's some sort of uh, thing to say you don't steal because if you do, you get found out anyway. Well, that's true, but some kind of thing. Would you think that they thought you stole something? No, they were giving away sock monkeys, and they said, "Have you ever had a sock monkey?" And I said, uh, "I don't think I ever had a sock monkey." You didn't take one. They were sold out. Oh, oh, I mean, they were gone. I they see. had they had sock monkeys, and he said something about oh, and the sock monkeys were a big part of our opening weekend, and got us a, t- a story in the paper about the sock monkeys. And then he tells me the parable about the sock monkey. Oh, that's cool. Yes, and that began our lifelong bond of friendship. Anyway, on to Ed and Lorraine Warren. So I think the a lot of people like to shit on them or discount them as hoaxers but the truth of the matter is is that they never made a shit ton of money they never were driving fancy cars they never were they always lived modestly their house was tiny they were not charging people to they weren't hucksters they weren't carnies and I think there was a rush to paint them as such by people who didn't want other people to panic, people that didn't want other people to question their reality. I find that when people are so quick to discount the Warrens, I think those people have have, have become, have fallen victim of fake news or a, a, a smear campaign. You know, I see it today. I see people... I see people deplatformed for speaking what they think is their truth for using their free speech. Whether I agree with them or not, it's it's irrelevant. But people like Gavin McInnes, people like Owen Benjamin, people like Alex Jones, the banhammer comes swiftly and they don't want to take away their livelihood. And I think that's what happened with the Warrens way back when, and I think they never gave up. This documentary, The Devil's Road, takes, you know, it goes into detail about some of their more popular um, cases, but they had in reality, I think, at least a thousand cases. And That's a lot of cases. Yeah, people called them. People called them in the middle of the night, and they didn't ever say no they didn't ever not take the call and they were very religious people uh, salt of the earth people I she was she had they were an inspiration to like I said almost every ghost hunting team you can think of and Jason Hawes of uh, 
Ghost Hunters is in this documentary saying how he he was inspired by them, how he looked up to them and they got him into this business. And they would talk with anybody about cases and their views of the paranormal. That influenced me in the ways of just understanding that everybody's different. Everybody has paranormal problems. I don't like when people just want to shit on it because it's the, oh, it's fake or this was a hoax. You, you think it's a hoax because someone told you it was a hoax. And unless you were in that house or in that cemetery or wherever the haunting or paranormal shit happened, unless you were there, you don't know. You don't fucking know. But I know that these two people dedicated their lives to investigating shit. And I know these two people lived very modestly. Very modestly. Uh, Dave and I watched a documentary a couple years ago about the real Amityville horror. Uh, it was a documentary about where the filmmaker talks to the youngest kid, um, the youngest Lutz kid. I believe that there is a such thing as evil, and I was a victim of that. On November 13th, 1974, the house at 112 Ocean Avenue, Amityville, became the site of a notorious mass murder. I didn't want to be the Amityville horror kid. I've been running away from it, and it finally caught up to me. Very shortly after moving in, the Lutz family claimed to have begun experiencing mounting paranormal phenomena. When I went in there, there was probably four or five hundred flies. And we're talking, this is mid-December in Long Island. The entire family is standing there watching the garage door slam up and slam down. And the dog is hanging himself. He clearly was affected by what happened in that house. He's nothing to gain by lying about it. His life had gone crazy from that, you know, he's a gruff person and he was very combative with the interviewer a lot of the times, but he spoke very fondly of Lorraine, right? I don't remember. Oh, I do. She was a very calming force. She was uh, very sweet to the children. And even in this documentary that we watched from Travel Channel, they make a point to say, or maybe it was her daughter, Judy, or their daughter, Judy, makes a point to say, you know, they always kept in touch with the families afterwards. It wasn't like, okay, we're leaving this house and we're never going to talk to you again. They reached out to the families regularly to make sure they were okay, just to see how they were doing, to chat. Uh, these are two very good people who have been maligned as hoaxers. Well, I don't know if they were or not, but they seem like they were good people. That's true. So one of the stories they talk about uh, in this documentary on Travel Channel was the this Lindley Street haunting in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Mary Pascarella said, we have a real poltergeist case going on. There's police cars, people are starting to form outside the house. And that's when Ed said, oh, okay, well, this sounds like the real deal. We'll be right over. The Warrens, along with Father William Charbonneau, arrive at the home of Jerry and Laura Gooden. I went in the house, and here were police officers, firemen, the Gooden family, neighbors, and it looked like somebody went through the house with a baseball bat, smashed things off of the walls, knocked furniture over. Every one of these police officers, when myself and the priest walked in, they knelt and asked for the priest's blessing. They were frightened. And this one is interesting because honestly, I hadn't heard of it. That when I hear of Ed and Lorraine Warren, I really, I just really think of that Amityville Horror is the first one I think of. And then the other one is that Rhode Island one. I think it's Rhode Island, where the family and uh, the parent family. I don't know if that's The Conjuring. I'm not entirely sure, but I think so. it's definitely gotten more famous, I guess, after the movies. But uh, this Lindley Street one is interesting because this particular haunting had over a hundred witnesses. 
As part of his investigative technique, Ed Warren tapes interviews with witnesses. In these rare recordings, we hear Ed speaking with the first police officers called to the scene. What is your name, uh, Officer Tomac? Uh, could you tell me what happened first? Well, when we got here, the house was a ray. We observed things lift off the shelf and fall to the ground. We observed other furniture move. You had actually seen this yourself. Some of this we saw others happen while back was turned within a split second. But in your opinion, no one could have moved this. No. What is your full name? Uh, Carl Jollyanza. What had you witnessed here that you would consider paranormal? Well, I seen the little girl sit in a reclining chair. Mm -hmm. And she flew back in it. I seen her about three times. I seen the picture fall off the wall. So that there was hundreds, hundreds of witnesses, thousands of people outside the house. They had to cordon off the block because this haunting was getting so much attention that there were just onlookers in the street. Ed Warren always had a tape recorder going, and they'd go to this house on Lindley Street and talk to all these people, furniture's flying. It's not just moving slowly. It's, it's flying across the room. Refrigerators, recliners, televisions, shelves, crucifixes, just knives. Things are flying around the house. I was standing in the kitchen. I noticed that there was a movement from my peripheral vision. A set of Malmac dishes flew across the room and landed on the floor. A crucifix, which was on a wall, was made of plastic, just burst. This particular haunting on Lindley Street it happened for years. It had happened from like 68 to 71. And then from 71 to 74, it escalated so much that they had to call the police and the fire department. Yeah, this coincides with psychedelic drug use in society. I just like, you know, it's I don't know that these people were psychedelic drug users. It's during the documentary. The was on the stuff. Well, I don't know about that, but during the documentary, it's kind of, it was something interesting I noted, but when Ed Warren starts interviewing the owners of the house, he talks to the, the lady first and he says, and, you, and your name is? And she doesn't say, my name is Laura Gooden. She says, I'm Mrs. Gooden. We are in the home, but what is your name, please? Mrs. Gooden. And your address? 966 Lindley Street. Mrs. Gooden. Could you relate to me, please, when this activity started? That, to me, was such an old-school thing to say. You know, I'm I'm Mrs. Gooden, not I'm Laura. Not She wasn't acting in a way that she thought she was supposed to be familiar. So today we have all these reality shows where everybody's used to being on camera. You, you The man on the street shit is just everybody wants to be a star. Everybody... It takes their opportunity to, uh, to to try and make that moment big for them. Back then, it wasn't like that. People got very nervous if the camera was turned on or the record. Like they thought it was official business, and they all got very weird. Um, you could just watch any news from the '50s or the '60s and see people shying away from the camera. Even at the beginning of American Bandstand. When they would have kids dancing, if the camera got to them, they'd either run away or, 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 or you know, get all shy and timid. People at, the, at that point weren't very used to being on camera. But the fact that she said, Mrs. Gooden, just, it just, in, in my mind, it said, okay, this is an older, salt-of-the-earth person. This isn't somebody who's looking for fame and fortune. You know, this isn't someone who's saying, you can call me Gypsy Rose Lee. She's just like Mrs. Gooden. So, I don't know. That, 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 did you catch that? I did not. Does that change anything you think? You think they're still in the psychedelics? I don't know what they're into. I'm not saying them. I'm just saying the whole environment of the, of the culture. The cops and the firefighters? Mm-hmm. No. So, this... Who's the pitcher who pitched the... No hitter on acid? Raleigh Fingers. 
No, that is incorrect. Doc oh. Ellis. Doc Ellis. I'm sorry. And if he did it, anyone could do it. I mean, that might be true. I don't know. But just to, you know, we're talking about this particular haunting. So cops, firemen, friends of the family, we're talking at least 100 witnesses, uh, so many audio tapes of interviews of them saying exactly what they saw. A lot of these things that happened, the little girl was nowhere near the house. Sometimes she was out of the house, but they were so anxious. Apparently the the town was spending a lot of money cordoning off this home, uh, putting police there, the police presence to make sure people weren't trying to get in the house. People apparently tried to set the house on fire to rid it of its evil spirits. So this was pretty much chaos and mayhem for a good while in Bridgeport. And at one point, the, the adopted daughter who lived with the family, who, she got caught trying to kick over a TV. Why would she do that? Well, I, I can think of several reasons. Maybe they were all there waiting for something to happen and nothing happened and she wanted something to happen because she wanted those people to keep coming. Maybe something in her head, something whispered in her ear, you should knock that over. But her doing that, they jumped on that so quickly. They had an opportunity to say, oh, it's the little girl. It's all a hoax. Even though things had happened in that house that were unexplainable. Police Superintendent Joseph Walsh declares the haunting a hoax perpetrated by Marcia Gooden. The exorcism would never take place. In the morning, on the radio was, the little girl did it. A 90-pound, 10-year-old child could move a 450-pound refrigerator two feet away from us, and we wouldn't see how she did it. The girl admitted that since last Friday, she's been banging on walls, knocking pictures off. We have no ghost in Bridgeport. Chief Walsh made it his business to make sure that he was going to call that a hoax. It's impossible that this was a hoax. Apparently, right after we had left, Superintendent Walsh had sent officers into the house, said this ends here, now. He not only made fools out of the family and us, he made fools out of his own men. These police officers were going into the media, which were all around the house, in the house, telling them about the things that they experienced. Ed was very frustrated by it all. He thought with all of these police officers, all of these firefighters, all of these media people, that the truth finally would come out about poltergeist activity. It was very fishy. And it comes to find out, the people of Bridgeport never believed that official story of the hoax. They well, never why, believed why it. Why did it stop? Apparently, it didn't stop. It didn't stop. They were supposed to get that house exercised. Why wouldn't they just tear down the house? I mean, this house, have you seen the house? It's a tiny... Yeah, I mean, it's just taking up space. Why don't they tear it down and I... build something else there? Well, I don't think they had a lot of money. Well, I don't I'm think... I'm just saying, if it was a problem and it kept happening, I don't understand how it would just stop. If it didn't stop, how come... What? I don't understand. I think a lot of, honestly, I think a lot of paranormal activity s starts out of nowhere and stops out of nowhere. I don't know why. Um, I don't know. I really don't know why. But there are, th one, of the, one of the cases they talk about in this documentary, The Devil's Road, they got somebody in to do an exorcism on the house and a cleansing on the house, and it did stop. It did stop it. It stopped it cold. So sometimes it stops. I think maybe they had the house blessed, but not exercised. I'm not sure. But even after they said it was a hoax, the activity continued for a while, and then it slowly died off. So there's that. There's this website. Uh, there's this website called damnedconnecticut.com 
where they have a whole article about the Lindley Street haunting. And in the comment section, there are some very interesting comments from people who were around that time. And I would like to read a few of them. Nelson P. said, I worked in City Hall in 1974 in the Data Processing Center managing the automated system of the records room of the Bridgeport Police Department. By that association, we gained a copy of a written report by an officer who was present when the paranormal shit hit the fan on Lindley Street. The most chilling account was when in his writing, and the cat said to the officer, how's your brother Bill doing? And the officer looked down and replied, my brother's dead. The cat then scowled, I know swearing repeatedly at the officer and then ran off. Other visual events in the report include a levitating refrigerator and an armchair that flipped over and could not be lifted back into place by the officers. One officer who witnessed it all took an immediate leave of absence, having been that shaken by the experience. Uh, Nelson P. says, I today firmly believe that these events took place in that home. I mean, this is an officer of the law who said the cat spoke. It's, I mean, you can't, a cop is not going to make that up. That's not what a cop does. A cop writes down exactly what he sees. This is and possible. Hears. It's, it's First insane. Of all, I don't know who Nelson P. is. I have no proof that he got a hold of any of these documents. This is all hearsay. That's true. I have no idea. John B. in the same comment section says, A friend of mine lived a few houses away. The crowds were so large, the police cordoned off a large area. I had to get police permission to get to my friend's house, and he had to verify who I was. Pretty crazy. Not many police... Not many people believed the official explanation. Firefighters and police officers would not report what they saw and expose themselves to criticism and endanger their jobs. The official word was issued to tone down the crowds and stop the expense of maintaining order. Wow, that sounds like a fair assessment. My father was a close friend of the police officer. This man was affected for many years. I remember as a child when these events occurred, the impact it had on all of us. The hoax story was simply for crowd control. So there's a lot of people in Connecticut who remember when this happened. I mean, these people are our age now. They remembered it happening and uh, they didn't believe the hoax story. They say the hoax was fake news. Again, if there was a hundred witnesses, a hundred, a hundred. It's kind of like when Flight 800 went down. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. And there was a whole bunch of witnesses that saw it shot down, that saw a missile go up and bring it down. Tons of witnesses and the FBI refused to even question them. Sometimes the real story is just not convenient for the powers that be. And that is a problem. That is a problem. So uh, when someone is so quick to shit on somebody or to try to get them canceled, um, especially if it's a, a bigger organization, question it every time. Southern Poverty Law Center, question it every time. Question it, or I, I go out of my way, honestly, to support anybody that has been canceled by people I don't trust absolutely will support them the best I can. Uh, we don't have a lot of money, but if you have a Patreon or you have some other thing that's five or six bucks a month, I'm going to do my best to support you if you've been canceled by the pitchfork and torch crowd. 
I'm, that's why I get really angry when people shit on the Warrens so quickly and so completely. It's, uh, it's maddening. So, of course, uh, that house is still there. The Lindley Street house. It is very tiny. It is the literal size of a two-car garage. So, I... These people clearly were not rich. The little girl, Marsha, Marsha Gooden, she was, she had been adopted at a very young age. And poltergeist manifests around young, troubled kids. Mostly troubled girls, for whatever reason. So she could have been troubled in what way? I don't know. Maybe. She didn't like living with them. She was adopted. I mean, today, if you want to adopt a baby, you basically have to be ridiculously well off, right? I, eh, maybe, Don't they yeah, come to your house and make sure that you've got money? And it's, I know it's like it a... It depends on what kind of kid you want. Is that true? Yeah, you know. I don't think so. Right I don't think so. is one thing. It goes down the line. I don't. I don't think that's true anymore. You want a gay Asian kid? It's pretty cheap. I don't believe that. Well, actually, they're more expensive. They're prone to take care of you. I. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't believe any of that. Anyway, um, the little girl was adopted by this family that was not well off at all. I mean, if you look at pictures of the house, it's. When I say it's the size of a two-car garage, I'm not exaggerating at all. You can look at it. Was it 966? Is that the address? Yeah. You can look at it on Google Maps. I think you can look at it on Zillow. It's a tiny house. Tiny, tiny house. And um, I just, I don't think today in a house that big, you would be able to adopt a child. I think they want to make sure the child has a big bedroom, um, that the, there's good schools. I, I honestly think that today, regardless of what child you're, you're trying to adopt, there's a, there's a list. <clears throat> I guess back then there's, there was no list because these folks looked pretty poor. Um, the few pictures I saw of the inside, it looked like it was a little messy. Instead of having a couch, they had three recliners. <laughs> it looks a little nuts. Hmm. Um, I don't think these people were bad people. Like I said, I just think they were old school and wanted to adopt a kid and and did. Um, I, I don't know. So maybe she manifested a poltergeist because she was unhappy. And as she got older, maybe she got more unhappy. But the truth of the matter is, is that the story doesn't end where they call it a hoax. The story, she, she leaves the house at 18, I think, eight, 18 or thereabouts, and is never seen again. Does not keep in contact with her family. Um... All right, so there's more to the story than meets the eye. There's more to the story than meets the eye, but... What an ungrateful cunt. Well, maybe, or maybe something bad was happening in in the house. Maybe her parents, ever since they she claimed that it was a hoax, maybe it affected their lives negatively forever after that. Like, maybe no one wanted to talk to them. I don't know. I really she just don't know. She leaves the house and never talks to her parents again. They never... No contact. She leaves... Maybe she went back to her real parents. She she did apparently look for her real parents who were um, uh, indigenous people, native Indians from, I think, Canada. How do they end up giving away their daughter? I don't know. That sounds fishy. I don't know what happened there. The whole thing sounds fishy. I honestly don't know what happened, but she she left. Let me tell you something. I've never heard of someone adopting an Indian from Canada ever. Well, you just heard it today. Uh, that's the first time I ever heard of such a thing. I 
don't know. I think this haunting is a big deal, and I think the the swift shutdown of everything and the the exclamation of hoax, hoax, hoax. <clears throat> I don't like it. Did Mr. Gooden have a beard? Uh, no, I don't think he did. All right. I think he was a clean-cut gentleman. Everybody has a beard who's up to no good in this movie. What do you mean? What movie? Well... In the documentary? Mr. DeFeo had a beard. Uh-huh. And the man who moved into the house right after him happened to look exactly like him. George Lutz? Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, he had a beard. I see. So, apparently, Satan does evil around people with beards. Or, or... Perhaps, yes, exactly. Never mind. Perhaps in the 70s, it Haven't was you fashionable. you Mad Magazine, the guy with the beard? He's all satanic. Which guy? The oh, one of the, 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 what was it? Simple, Light, better lighter life? Lighter side of? Lighter side? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so, I mean. That, Let me ask you something. Okay. Yeah, Amityville Horror. Yeah? Uh, the shit happened. Yes. And then they wrote a book about it? And then they wrote a movie about it? Who's they? The people who did this. I'm saying, was it a book and then a movie? Or it was just a, a horrible event and then a movie? It was a horrible event that made the news, and then it was a book by Jay Anson, and then it was a movie. Now, the movie based on the book? Yes. Now, what the fuck does Jay Anson know about the horrible event if he wasn't part of it? I think he interviewed the everyone involved. Oh, so it's the world according to them. Well, they're the ones who lived through it, right? Well, yeah, so they have their tainted story. And their personal point of view. I'm just saying, how do we know what that movie... How, how do we know what's real and what isn't? Next thing I know, you're going to tell me The Howling is based on true events. Let's see here. Jay Anson was an American author whose most famous work was The Amityville Horror. After the runaway success of that novel, so it's calling it a novel, he died in 1980. His work, The Amityville Horror, was sold as a true story, and it was based on the reported experiences of George and Kathy Lutz. Wait, a novel can be a true story? No. Well, that's a contradiction of reality right there. The Lutzes had sold the rights to the book to Anson, who had added to and adapted some of the Lutzes' original claims. A film was later made of the book in 1979, which exemplified these additions. He's a fabricator. And he died a year after that. Yeah, but too much for him to bear. <clears throat> now that cross was too heavy. I don't know. That seems a little uh, interesting, right? I like the omen when the cross is in the picture. And then the guy gets hit by something in real life. The priest. Isn't there a, a bolt, a lightning bolt in a black and white photo? And then the guy gets struck down. What? Is that the omen? No. That's the... What's the other one? Day of the Jackal? Day of the Jackal is about a ja assassination attempt on Charles Jackal I, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't know what you're saying. I'm saying... Who got... What lightning struck? What What black and white photo? That's what I'm saying. In the Omen. The Omen? Isn't, isn't there a black and white photo in the Omen? It foresees the, the death of the guy. Oh, 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 oh. So it's not a real, it's a photo in the in the movie. Yes, yes, it's part of the movie. And that happened in real life? No, I'm just no. going off on a tangent. <sighs> All right, back to The Haunting. So, Jay Anson. Yeah, I think it's interesting that he, his, the, his book became a movie, and he died very short. He died at a very young age, Dave. Yeah, let me ask you something. Is the Amityville Horror about the killing of the people there or about the people who moved in afterwards? Because I think the real movie should be about the DeFeo family. Are you saying you never saw the Amityville Horror? I've seen it, but, you know, I just kind of never really, like, processed it. It's not like The Shining for me where I could tell you everything about it. Amityville Horror to me was one of those things. I, I don't know. I just kind of didn't do it for me. That's why I thought maybe the critics didn't like it or something. Uh, I mean, I don't... Let me see. I just feel like it wasn't as a respected movie. And me coming from a show family. See, I don't know about now. How about then? I mean, when it was received. Well, I can only go to Rotten Tomatoes right now. Um, 
Critics that give it a what? The critics gave it a 27%. Oh, shit. So I was right, I guess. I don't think that opinion's changed. The audience gave it a 52%. Yeah, all right. So this was not a well-respected movie. That's, that's the problem. Yeah, it wasn't not a well-respected movie. Now, The Shining was pretty damn well-respected. And... How about when a stranger calls? I bet that has a better, higher percentage than this. That seems crazy low. 27%? I mean, what? That's, is that like an all-time low or something? See, there's not a lot known. Like, when you go to Box Office Mojo, you can't really, there's these older movies, it's hard to tell. Uh, but Maybe there's such a prejudice against this belief that this exists, that this movie was just panned instantly. It, it could be. I mean, it, it's, it's a campy horror film. Yeah, I guess I'd have to see it again. I don't know. I recall not thinking much of it. But you didn't see it. I know I've seen scenes of it. Did I see it in the theater? I really guess I didn't see it in the theater. This movie made 86 has has made 86 million dollars. I saw Poltergeist in the theater for sure. So just so you know, this movie has made 86 million dollars. Amityville Horror has made 86 million dollars. Okay. Since 1979. All right. The Omen. Yes. Has made 61 million dollars. Really? So it's this it's a the I Amity think The Omen's a better movie. I'm sure it is. I'm just saying that this, the Amityville Horror is a is a big deal. It's called a phenomenon. And also, that book. I had the book. Everybody, the Amityville Horror, was it called? It was called The Amityville Horror. And it was, uh, you know, it, I remember when The Firm came out. Remember that book? The, uh, is that the movie, The Firm? Well, it was a book first, Yeah, though. okay. And, um... I remember just, I, I guess I was working in Manhattan at the time, and I would just see everybody on the subways reading that book. Huh. And it was similar with the Amityville Horror, even though I was much younger. Everybody had that book. Man, little pieces. That was one like that. That, that was another one like that. So their most famous thing is the Amityville Horror case. Um, You know... For my, for our generation, I think that's their most famous, but all of these movies have come out in the past 10, 12 years that might be oh, right. more famous than, than that. I yeah. mean, Amityville Horror is where... They need to remake it. If they remake it, it'll be more famous. They did remake it. Oh, never mind. Who's in that one? Ashton Kutcher. Is he? I don't, I don't think know. so. Come on, that'd be good. Let's see him freak out. They made it in 2005. Ryan Reynolds is in it. Interesting. Well, that's probably the problem. Yeah, that that even that got a. It's, they kind of needed like Kristen Bale or something. But there is an Amityville Murders movie that came out in 2018. Oh, well, that's about the DeFeo. Well, let's see what it is, if it is or not. My big day. Family is everything. You know that. The house or whatever lives there, it makes things happen. We have to get out of here. Butch, stop! What are you doing? Watching you. Butch, 
Mike's in trouble. You have to get out of here. There's no way out. That's got a wonderful rating. That's got a 7% <laughs> from Rotten Tomatoes critics. Okay, we are really good. Imagine if you're a family member of this and you have to deal with this for the rest of your life. The DeFeos, you mean? Yeah, I mean, okay, so he killed the family, but he didn't kill, like, everyone. He, the aunts, the uncles, the grand, you know, people related to them forever. This is your fucking di dynasty legacy. I, I mean, would fucking sue these people. Like, can't you just let it rest? What the fuck is wrong with you? These are real people. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess. They're real people. They sell cars in fucking Jersey City. The DeFeos? Yeah. How are they related to the car people? They... I don't know, but they, you know, you show me a DeFeo, I'll show you another DeFeo is related. Yeah, they were, I mean, I think they advertise on Stern Show too, right? DeFeo Vincent. DeFeo Vincent? No, e. that was E. Vincent. No, but seriously. It's the same family. Yeah. It's, uh... I mean, it's... The Shining's a uh, made-up story. You can do that as much as you want if you get the permission of Stephen King. It's not like you're uh, fucking with someone's family. Right. It's kind of... You're making the... De well, I mean, I... <laughs> It's I, not like they keep you know telling the, the Mark David Chapman story with John Lennon. No, but look at the the Manson stuff, you know. Yeah, I, I'm the same thing with that. Have some fucking kindness. That's why at least uh, Quentin Tarantino did the fantasy there, and it changed in the end. Oh God, that that movie! I can't. I I loved it, but I can't ever watch it again. It made me so anxious. Yeah, but honestly, I you know, you think I was freaking the fuck out. I don't know. Roman Polanski, he's, uh, he's a bad guy, but he's also had a lot of pain in his life. He's a terrible person. I'm sorry, yeah, but still, you gotta torture him all the time with Helter Skelter? Yeah, I mean... Let it rest, it was his wife. And his baby. Excellent. Disgusting. But, yeah, I mean, there's... Maybe he opened up a portal with that goddamn Rosemary's baby. Wow, I mean, can you imagine? Hey, and they said, the devil doesn't come at you right away when you open that door. He waits until you're vulnerable. Boom, you're away. Manson's around the corner. You're vulnerable. That's kind of, that is what they said in the documentary. That that's, that when you, right. do, when you do, when you do open a portal, when you, you have that door open, that sometimes it, it waits. It lies in wait for when you are at your most vulnerable. Yeah. That Manson should just fucking nowhere, man. That is, that is. Oh, and also the DeFeo family, you know, the guy who did all those murders, he was like a drug addict. He was like a junkie, you know what I mean? And his father was abusive. The whole family was fucked. So, you know, yeah, he was at his vulnerable point there, too. You could say that. When you're a drug addict and you're weak, you're open to the devil. I mean, he Stop really there. does look exactly like George Lutz, right? Yeah, this is his type. It also looks a little Manson-y, too. No, but he looks exactly like George Lutz. Bizarre. That is bizarre. Um, I'm trying to see what it says here. Is he still alive? Yeah. Ain't that a bitch. He is age 69 right now. LMAO. And he is in jail. Um, Lamau. So uh, I think he's tried to tell his story over and over again, right? He's been interviewed. Was he in that Amityville Horror I documentary? Remember, I feel like he's told his story or tried to tell it, or people don't want to hear it, or I'm not sure. I think he was just like a fucking drug fiend. Although DeFeo was a user of heroin, heroin and LSD. 
He had antisocial personality behavior and was aware of his actions at the time of the crime. Oh, so I guess they try to get him off on insanity, but... Uh Antisocial personality disorder is being a sociopath. They've changed... They've changed that because I guess being a sociopath is, uh, they don't like... Doesn't make a bad person. Well, they think that that is, you know, it's like you can't call someone fat anymore. You have to say that they're, I don't know, whatever you say now. Physically heavy. Big boned, I guess. I don't know. Um, but yeah, antisocial behavior is the same thing. Um... Well, what made him that way? Why is he dissociative? Because his father probably was abusive. I think it runs in the family. There's something wrong with the family. He didn't just kill his family because he loved them. There must have been something going on there. Why'd he kill all of them, though? That man had issues. He was a heroin addict, and he probably wanted to kill him for the money. I'm not sure about the rest of the family, though, how that worked. What do you mean? I don't know why he killed all the family. This is fucking crazy. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Seems like he must have been uh, I mean, and he shunned fe- or something he- as a kid. No, uh-uh. Yeah. He's, he's he the number one son, but they got favored. Every time they had another kid, he got the attention was taken away from him. Well, I think he's mentally ill, right? Yeah. That and the father abusing him. Was he? Did he hit him? I don't know what happened. Something happened. Something happened there. Most heroin addicts don't kill their parents. Yeah, I was. I thought heroin really mellows you out or something. I don't know. Well, it mellows you out until you need to get some more. Oh. And then it makes you crazy. Then you kill your parents for the inheritance money. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, but honestly, I mean, if to me, that's as interesting a movie as the as the other one. I wouldn't want to see that, though. I wouldn't want to see that. I don't want to see that. It's like it's the same reason that I was so freaked out over the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right. When you know what the end is, and see, this is the thing: is that Quentin Tarantino spends a large portion of the movie introducing you to these characters you know um, whether they're fictitious or real and you you love them you know so by the time the ending is coming for me anyway you know Sharon Tate in the movie she doesn't talk much and there was a big controversy about that but you love her Margot Robbie has done I don't know. She did a great job making me love her. And uh, she's cute. She's personable. She's pregnant. You just you just adore her. And but in for me, in the back of my head, I know how the movie ends. I know how the real life thing ends. And the more he made me like these characters, the more I was getting sick to my stomach watching this movie because I knew how it ended. And I think that was the brilliance of that movie was when the when it ends and it's a, a better ending than real life. You are so relieved. You well, was once upon a time. I was so relieved. I, I the stress was it was it was so much better. I couldn't contain myself. It was it was it was brilliant. It was brilliant on his part. Um, amazing. If you have not seen it, you should see it because it's. Just a ridiculously well put together movie. It's no Black Panther. <laughs> anyway, okay. So this has been uh we watched the documentary, the Travel Channel documentary, The Devil's Road. It is a two part documentary, but you can watch the whole thing on demand. And it's also available in other places to see and I will actually link that in our show notes on the website um, because I don't know how legal that is or not but I definitely if you're interested in this kind of stuff I definitely recommend it and uh, yeah so this has been our third episode of this October we have one more spooky episode left and then 
we're on to regular types of episodes. You have anything you want to say, Dave? Spooky. Excellent. All right. Yes, it's spooky. Uh, head on over to our website. It's middleagecoolkids.com. Everything, uh, every episode we've done so far, so it's 93 other episodes, live on that website. Or you can, of course, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn or Google Podcasts, whatever, whatever you're interested in. We have a YouTube channel. And I actually started a second YouTube channel. So if you're interested in seeing stupid shit that I do that has uh, no redeeming qualities at all, head over to Shextra. That's extra shecky shit. Shextra. And uh, you'll learn how to make ice cream or you'll see what I have to say about various nail polishes. It's one of those types of channels. All right. That's it for this week and we will see you next time. America? Take it ish.